Today's scripture is from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 27. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, it is with Christ. For in the one spirit we are all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. And we were all made to drink of one spirit. Indeed, the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot would say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear would say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many members, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the members of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and those members of the body that we think less honorable we clothe with greater honor, and our less respectable members are treated with greater respect. Whereas our more respectable members do not need this. But God has so arranged the body, giving the greater honor to the inferior member, that there may be no dissension within the body, but the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together with it. If one member is honored, all rejoice together with it. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Keith. Thank you, choir. I can't really remember how old I was when I first saw Michelle have a seizure in church. It happened multiple times in my childhood, and the experiences just all sort of blend together for me. Michelle was my brother's age, three years older than me, and for the first five years of her life, she was a healthy kid, just like everyone else. And then one day, soon after she started kindergarten, so my mother later told me, Michelle's parents went into her bedroom to try to wake her up for school, and they couldn't wake her up. So they called for help. She was rushed to the hospital, and the doctors told Michelle's parents that something had gone very wrong in her brain, and she had suffered multiple seizures. She did eventually wake up, but there had been a lot of damage, and Michelle was a person with special needs from then on. One of the special needs she had was sometimes she still had seizures, not silent ones, but the kind where she ended up on the floor, shaking, writhing. They were hard, most of all hard for her, but also for her family and for anyone else that was around. Now, Michelle's family, just like my family, was at church every week. Our parents were in the same Sunday school class. We went to the same 8.30 worship service. We sat on the same side of the sanctuary, her family just a few rows behind mine, up toward the front. A few times over the years, Michelle had a seizure at church, maybe in the hallway out near the Sunday school classrooms or even in the sanctuary during worship. And whenever that happened, my mother would just lean over to me and whisper, everything's okay. You don't need to worry. You don't need to stare. Just keep your eyes ahead. Just watch the pastors. 
and trust that Michelle is getting the help that she needs. As a kid, I remember thinking how hard it all was, how sad it all was. Michelle could be pretty difficult and hard to communicate with. But I also remember thinking how the adults, they just had it under control. She was a part of our church family, just one of a huge gang of kids whose parents all went to the same Sunday school class. I knew she and her family deserved special love and support because they had to deal with a hard thing. Now, I'm not saying everything was perfect, kids can be unkind, and there were certainly moments as we grew older that it was hard to know exactly where and how Michelle fit in, but there was never anything scary, never anything bad about having Michelle around. For us, it was just normal. In fact, I sort of assumed that every church had their own Michelle, someone special to welcome and accept and to love. Now, Michelle died about six years ago at age 42. She loved her family and they cherished her. And I don't know what other kids my age remember about growing up alongside her at church, but I am so grateful now for her presence and for what it taught me about being a part of the body of Christ. It's in the 12th chapter of the letter that we call 1 Corinthians that the Apostle Paul explores this great metaphor for the church, calling it, calling us the body of Christ. And he writes that when it comes to church, he says the members of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the members of the body that we think less honorable, we clothe with greater honor, and our less respectable members are treated with greater respect. But God has so arranged the body giving greater honor to the inferior member that there may be no dissension within the body, but the members may have the same care for one another. If that's true, then Michelle was one of the most important and greatest members of any church of which I have ever been a part. This idea of calling the church the body of Christ, comparing it to our physical bodies, it's, it's one of the Apostle Paul's greatest gifts to us in scripture. He first shared it with that church at Corinth, a church that was founded probably less than 15 years after Jesus' death. Now you might think that a church that was so young, a church that was so close to the historical life of Jesus, that that kind of church would just have everything be easy. Everything would be happy inside the community. You might think that a church that was so new would have no trouble getting along with one another or knowing where they were headed together. You would be wrong if you thought that. Even the very earliest churches, they had conflict, they had hard conversations, they had a hard time knowing where to focus and what to do, and that's really why Paul ever wrote letters back to them. They needed his help in getting on the same page, in remembering their mission, in remembering their purpose. Now, one of the, the big problems at the church at Corinth was that some of their members were claiming to be more important, more spiritual, more deserving of honor and respect than other members. It was a pretty big problem because Paul addresses it multiple times in one letter. In this first letter to Corinthians, he gets after them for boasting. He tells them they're puffed up. He tells them they're not as wise as they think they are. He tells them that they might believe they're standing, but they're actually falling. <laughs> he tries really hard to take them down a notch, in other words. And one of the ways that he does that is by giving this metaphor of the church being like a body reminding us that we are all deeply connected to one another. 
It sends a message to the people who were too puffed up, but it also sends a message to anybody in the congregation who might be thinking of themselves as less than, as unimportant, to anyone who might be wondering where they fit in. He says to, to those people, you belong here. Every member is equally important. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor the head to the feet, I have no need of you. We're all essential, he says. We all belong. I was talking to a friend of mine a while ago. She works in a hospital. She helps to train pastors in their pastoral care. And she got a call from someone who wanted to refer to her a woman who was having a really hard time in her professional life. This woman was successful. She had a great family. She had accomplished a lot of things, but things were starting to unravel in her life. And someone thought that my friend would be a good resource. So my friend said it only took a few hours of conversation for her to uncover that this woman was carrying a huge load of unresolved grief and it was becoming more than she could bear. Grief was tearing away at her ability to interact with her family, with her ability to do her job, but the woman, she just was not convinced that she could take time for herself. She didn't think that she could stop and deal with the grief and begin to heal. And so my friend told me, you know, Amy, I just stopped the conversation and I looked at her square in the face and I said, you matter, you are worthwhile. You can guess the woman's response as easily as I did. She just started to cry. She wept and then she wept and she wept and she wept. Just hearing that essential truth, hearing someone say to her, you matter, you are worthwhile, all she could do was cry. You matter. That's part of the power of this image of the body. It says to everybody, everybody here, all of you online, you matter, you are worthwhile. And because we aren't just anybody, but we're the body of Christ, we relate to one another very differently than the rest of the world does. Even in the moments when we disagree, even though we hold different and strongly held opinions, even though we do different things and we have different functions, we are still one body. We share a unity here that is unlike any other, deeply bound up in our relationship with God. You know, belonging to a church, a lot of times people want to treat it like it's the same as being a member of some club. That this is some kind of voluntary association that we can just waltz in and waltz out of whenever we want. We treat it like that, but that's, that's not what it is. Paul is reminding us that, that here together we actually are bound together in a way that's much deeper, that we belong to one another. We are the body of Christ. Once you are on board with God, once you are baptized into the body, it's just part of who you are. You don't just slip in and slip out. And you don't cast other people aside, even in moments of pain or conflict. We are the body of Christ. We're here because we've been baptized into Christ. And Paul says, that means also, if one member suffers, all suffer together with it. If one member is honored, all rejoice together with it. And I know that you know that this truth creates some of the most powerful ways that we experience being better together. We're in week two of our sermon series here, examining why we don't just do faith alone, why we do it as a part of a community. And last week, we talked about how iron sharpens iron, 
how we grow with one another in wisdom and understanding by sharing life, by sharing faith. And today, Paul reminds us that being the body of Christ means sharing in one another's suffering and sharing in one another's joy. Now, some of you here have experienced this in tremendously powerful ways. If you've had illness, if you've had grief, the church family has rallied around you, provided tangible help for you, like mowing your lawn or bringing you food or taking you to doctor's appointments. Some of you have experienced the power of having a whole community praying for you. So when you see people then in weeks to come, people ask how you're doing, and you are reminded that you don't suffer alone, but you have the compassion, you have the empathy of others. I remember I had a, a good friend in a church who lost their son tragically when he was in his early 20s. And she told me that it became so painful in the months after because she would see friends in the grocery store and they would just turn around and walk away from her because they didn't know what to say. Hopefully that never happens in a church family. Hopefully we never get tired of asking, how are you doing? And remembering and feeling and carrying the pain with one another. It might seem normal to us to share that kind of compassion and empathy, but the truth is that there's a lot of people in the world who don't ever get to experience it. When life gets hard, they have to navigate it alone. They don't have a safe space like here in the sanctuary to come and cry. No one makes food for their family after the funeral. The New York Times recently had an article that honed in on the strength of church communities. They quoted a COVID survivor as saying, I've gone back to church. When I got sick, my mother prayed for me constantly. I received an outpouring of support and prayer from so many others I didn't know, and I survived. When I got better, she said, all these people reached out to you. You need to pay it forward. So people asked me to pray for them, and I am. I try to pray every day. Paul says that we don't just rejoice in our suffering, we, also, we don't just share in our suffering, we also rejoice together. We, we celebrate one another's accomplishments, we recognize one another's gifts. I think about how many famous musicians in this country were first nurtured as singers by singing in church. I mean, here, unlike anywhere else, you get to come and you get to try things and you get to be encouraged and you get to grow and a whole group of people are ready to cheer you on. And if you fail, it's okay, we still love you. And if you succeed, we're as proud as we can be. We are better together, sharing our joys and concerns, supporting one another in this difficult walk of life, reminding each other of the immense love of God and making that love real to each other with our words and our generosity and our prayers and our hugs. You know, no one should have to go through the ups and downs of life alone. And the community that we form here, it sustains us unlike anything else can. And Paul reminds us that there are no members of the body more important than another. But church, as we think about this metaphor of the body of Christ, we do have to admit to ourselves, to one another, that we don't always nail it when it comes to welcoming and supporting everybody the same. You know, every week, every week we have someone come to church who's here for the first time, or somebody who come back who's who's here for the first time in a long time, or we have people that come here and they're just not quite sure yet where they fit in. So the question for us is, what can we do to make sure they feel a part of this body of Christ? What can we do to make sure that, that they're known here? 
and that we know that we're better because they're here. We're better together. My challenge to you this week and in the weeks ahead is to just have your eyes open. Just be on the lookout. Just come in and have as part of your mindset, not just seeing the people that you know and love and are deeply connected to, but also have your eyes open and say, who do I see here that I don't know? And what can I offer them to remind them that they belong here? Is it a smile? Is it a handshake? Is it a small bit of conversation? What I'm asking church is make a new friend. Make a new friend at church. And as you're doing that, also keep your eyes open for the people around that, that might need an extra word of encouragement. Somebody who's carrying a heavy load that you can help lift for just a moment of, of encouragement or prayer. We are the body of Christ. So let's make sure that no parts of the body feel neglected or left behind. Let's make this a place where it's obvious that we are better together. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you.